wrap up and hold in a package the book of Colossians. We're bringing a, our study in the book of Colossians to an end this morning. Starting next week, we're going to do a summer series, which is looking at the most misunderstood texts in the Bible and just um, kind of doing a, this is what you thought it said, but maybe it says this instead, uh, with a lot of texts that people use a lot, but misuse a lot. So we're going to start that series next week. I'm not the only one that's going to be preaching through that series. Looking forward to having some others participate and um, hope that you can be there for almost all of them and look forward to that. But this morning, if you turn to Colossians and start up in chapter one, and we're just going to make our way through the, the book of Colossians together this morning. Of course, I'm not going to be able to read it all. I'm not going to be able to read all the uh, all, all the verses here. Um, so you want to kind of on your phone or a tablet or in your actual physical book, you're going to want to just kind of have the, the book open and look through the headings and consider remembering what those verses were and what we preached on. Because we're looking at your life rewritten. You're looking at a new you. What happens when there's this new life that's been granted to us? What, are, what does it look like to live new? Now, immediately, one of the things that might come up, even before we get into the text, is, well, I don't know if I am new. I certainly don't always feel new. And the answer to that, of course, is your relationship to Jesus Christ. Belief and holding and embracing and loving Jesus Christ, who loves you. And we're going to try to present this to you as this is what life in Jesus looks like. Because honestly, if somebody came up to you and said, What's, what does life with Jesus look like? Often, the answer is considered to be, it's dull, it's full of rules and regulations, it's a, it's a killjoy life, but you know, you get a, you get a party at the end. You get a, you get a heavenly party, so that makes it all worth it. But that's actually not at all what the life is. That's not at all who Jesus is, and that's not at all what this text presents to us. And so, beginning in Colossians chapter 1, and Paul says he's going to introduce the entire topic to us as this new you, this new story, this new conversation of life that you're going to have with yourself, with others, is colored by, is, is taken up in thanksgiving. You have thanksgiving and prayer. There is a heading, perhaps, in your English Standard Version Bible, if that's what you're using. Thanksgiving. Uh, again, in, in, in chapter 3, Paul tells us, uh, overflow in the love of God. Overflow in with thanksgiving in your hearts, being thankful. Let the love of Christ and the peace of Christ rule and be thankful. He expresses his thanksgiving in the first verses of this chapter for all that has happened to them and all that has been done in them. It's kind of interesting because the impetus for this book, this impetus, the impetus for this letter that Paul wants to write is that there's some problems in Colossae. There's some moving aside. There's some, there's some drift. 
there's a little bit of letting go just a little bit or a little bit more of Jesus so that I can take a hold of something else. Other things are fascinating them. They're having a little bit of an ADD kind of religious experience. Oh, look, what about angels? And what about spiritual ecstasy and spiritual uh, emotional moments? And and we're, we're, we're drawn, we're fascinated to... Um, these heavy rules and and this this kind of life where everything is mapped out for us and paul says you're enamored with those things and i want you to be enamored i want you to see what you're letting go of i want you to see who you're letting go of so he's writing about a problem in Colossae, but he begins by expressing his thanksgiving and that seems almost disingenuous doesn't it it's almost like when somebody comes up to you and and starts listing off a whole bunch of great things about you. I just want to tell you, you're like you're, maybe your boss calls you in, and he says, "Would you take a seat? I'd I'd like to talk to you. I, I'd like to talk to you. First of all, I just want to mention you're really good at this, and you're really good at that, and and it's really great having you around the the office for this reason, or on the floor for that reason. Um, and and he begins to list off a whole bunch of good things. And as you listen, you're thinking, "Oh no, there's a." There's going to be a butt coming. There's going to be, he's just softening me up for the blow. There's going to be something bad that's going to follow. And it almost seems like that's what Paul's doing. He just wants to, to soften them up and then, but, and, and then lay a heavy on them. But actually, no, he's not doing that at all. He actually is genuinely thankful for them. And it's, it's cool that we can do that. It's cool that we can look at each other and we can look at our church. And I'm not there and I can't. The only thing I can see on my screen right now is me. So I don't see anything else. But look around. And as you look around, you can see the others that are there and be genuinely thankful for what God is doing in your heart. Now, it may be that you're thinking, oh, but there's this problem and there's this problem and there's this problem. And if I had my chance, I would talk to this person about this. And yes, that's important and that's true. But first, be thankful cultivate in your heart cultivate in your life an attitude of thanksgiving what is it that we're thankful for how am i thankful to god for this person and that person and that person and cultivate that in your heart practice it it's easy for us to practice why we're disappointed in each other it's important for us to practice why we're thankful for each other and what we see in each other and express that we should be constantly and you can make this a discipline in your life where you are constantly expressing thanksgiving to others in the assembly and, and writing a note, a text, an email, just a comment, just a phrase, um, stopping by, making a phone, whatever it is, but where you just express thanksgiving more than just thank you, but tell them why you are thankful and what it is that is, is, is causing your heart to rejoice and just let there be a culture in our church. Let there be a culture in Christendom of thanksgiving. We're thankful for each other. We're thankful for what we do. We're thankful even in spite of the fact that we live in a congregation of sinners who are disappointing in so many ways. But we cultivate, first off, an attitude of thanksgiving. Then he says, having done that, introduced us with his thankful, he begins to explain to them, to write to them all that is new. First of all, there's this new love 
for the glory of God. Verse 15 of chapter 1, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Maybe at some point in your life, you dated a boy or a girl. You dated someone else, and, and friends said to you, what is it you see in him or her? What is it you see in them? What, what, what is it that you're enjoying? What is it that you recognize in them? Not even so much of, a, I can't believe you're with them. There's nothing good that I can see. No, not so much even that. Just, like, tell me what it is. Tell me what it is that you're delighting in. Tell me what it is that you see. And you can pick out characteristics and say, they're very, very sweet, or they're, they're very, very kind, or they're very, very talented, or whatever it is, and you, you, you're pointing that out. If someone says to you, what is it that you find attractive about Jesus? Paul here has, con has commented everything. What is it that he offers? Everything. He is preeminent in all things. He's the best. He's the best at anything. He's the best at everything. He's the best for us. He's the best for all of creation. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the, the, the one in whom all things flow from him to us. He is for us completely. He's the beginning. He is the fullness of God dwell in him. Imagine any good thing and it's found in him. Imagine any trait, any talent, any ability that you can give to any person on earth. They're found here in Jesus. And Paul says this is a new understanding of who he is. There's a new love. And there's nothing more exciting in life than a new love. A new baby, I, just before the service started, I think I saw Steph is still in the service. So there's a new baby still being awaited there in the Walker home. Uh, a, a new baby, um, a new relationship, a new, uh, a new community, a new dwelling, and these a, a new set of neighbors that come with it. Whatever it is, there's nothing quite so stimulating as a new love. Paul says, I want you to begin your story, recognizing that the story that you're living in, this new you, has a new love, a new relationship to Jesus. And you should spend time dwelling on that, thinking about that, rejoicing in that. Just like you do with the new baby. You sit there and just stare at your baby for hours upon end, just amazed, just in awe. You do this with a new husband, new wife. You do this with a, a new friend where you can just, you look at them and you're just in awe and amazed. Spend some time with God, with Jesus, amazed, contemplating, considering 
who he is. And then you have this weird turn because Paul tells us you have this new relationship to Jesus and this new work that he's done in you as he's transplanted you into the kingdom of light. And so you are now reconciled, you are now new, you are now complete in him. And then verse 24, he says, now I rejoice in suffering. There's a new attitude towards suffering. Everyone suffers. All of us know what suffering is. We can't qualitatively compare our sufferings one to another. We often want to. We want to say, oh, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody knows my sorrow. Nobody suffers like I do. We want to say there's no one on the face of the earth that has ever faced what I face and as alone as I face it, whatever it is. We, we, we sometimes play that game at the end of a day when we look at our partner, our friend or family member and we say, oh, you're just gonna have to take care of this need tonight because I'm too tired because I had the worst day. And the other says, well, I had a pretty bad day myself. And well, who had the worst day? Who suffers the most? We have this attitude then about suffering is it's just, it's that unpleasant, it's that unwelcome, it's that I wish we had nothing to do with a portion of our life. Truly, we would say if I could, I would eliminate suffering. And of course, we're looking for a day when God does exactly that. But there is no more death or crying or pain, the former things are done away. This is his description of life in the new Jerusalem. The end of suffering, the end of pain, the end of sorrow. But until that point, we have a new attitude about it because so much suffering is involved, is wrapped up in the way in which we relate the story. The story is lived out. The story is evidenced to others in suffering. No one will believe how wonderful God is until they see him experience that in suffering, in pain, in trial, in trouble, in desperation. No one believes how great that lifeguard really is until somebody is actually starting to drown. No one believes what is the rescue that it can actually be had until they understand the incredible need of rescue that they're in. And that need of rescue comes with suffering. And the story is told by those who suffer. And the gospel is shared in suffering. And this is a theme that you'll see, and we, we traced it out as, we, as I preached on it, in Ephesians and Colossians and elsewhere in Paul's writings, that the gospel advances by suffering. And without suffering, there's no advance of the gospel that's there. It's like we have this this new medication, but the medium that contains it is bitter. This drink that we have to drink, this shot that we have to have comes with pain and bitterness and, and unpleasantness, but we're happy to do it because it's life. We have a new attitude towards suffering and we have a new code to live in. And so Paul talks about this great struggle that he's have that he, he takes to bring to us. And then he says, so don't let anyone take you captive by philosophy. I'm in chapter two and verse eight. 
by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. There is this tendency for us to live according to a code and to apply that code to others and to say, this is the way life should be. This is how you should respond. This is, for example, how you should consider sexuality. This is how you should consider family. This is what you should do for ethics in your workplace. It was kind of interesting to read an article this week about one of the largest firms specializing in auditing legal um, firms for ethics violations. So the auditors who are to examine legal companies, firms, for ethics and regarded to ethics violations have to periodically pass themselves tests related to auditing ethics. And it was interesting that, that this largest auditing firm was charged with violations because it, admittedly so, the auditors from one right down through the end, all of them, in preparation for their auditing exams, cheated. And cheated on your ethics auditing ethics exam. We look at that, we kind of smile at the irony of it and shake our head at the, the kind of difficulty that this world is in. But we understand that we have codes and we have uh, conduct. And Paul says, don't give yourself to codes that are created with the, temp with the template of human intervention. Don't give yourself to the political or social or social media organized codes of life. Don't respond and say, this is then what we must do. Today, for example, um, it's very common for someone to make a statement and then have the wrath of social media upon them for that statement that perhaps was meant without any harm. And then they quickly have to turn and, and bow to the pressure and apologize or, or suffer the wrath of Uh, suffer the wrath of the media, of Instagram, of, of your peers, of, of the culture, of the world. And Paul says, don't give yourself to that. Don't give yourself to these codes, touch not, taste not, handle not. Give yourself to a new code, a new regulation of life. And he tells, he's going to tell us then what that looks like. Um, so instead of having others pass judgment on us at the end of chapter two, he says, put to death the things that are in you that develop those codes, this new set of tools that you have for relationships. When, we're, when we begin life, we learn a set of tools for relating to those around us. Imagine your two-year-old. Um, what are some of the easy tool lessons that they learn for how to navigate relationship. They do not need to be taught anger. They do not need to be taught greed. 
Your two-year-old doesn't need lessons in selfishness, doesn't need lessons in justice that has self at the center. These are the tools by which they learn to navigate. They, they quickly learn no. They quickly learn how to cross their arms. They quickly learn how to, how to speak sharply because these are the tools that they're learning early on in the, the, the it's a template that, that they arrive pre-built in them with this is how we relate. And Paul says, no, you're not gonna do that. This isn't your set of tools. This isn't your relationships. Instead, put off that, put off that like you put off old clothes after you've been through an experience of death. Put that away, put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator and it has, verse 12, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and love, binding it all together. These are our new set of tools for relationships. This is the, the new fashion. This is our new outfit that we live in and that we relate to each other in. This is our new story. We're marked by that. And so if suffering is us taking that story out into the world. This new set of relationships marked by compassion and forgiveness and patience and forbearance and meekness, this new set of material is the way in which we encounter each other. And it's necessary because we're going to be suffering, we're going to be in tension, we're going to be rubbing up against each other, we're going to be in friction with each other. And the only way that we can really relate in a growing and functioning and, and excelling community is if these are our tools. We put away the old tools. Not just going to get angry with each other. Not just going to shout at each other. Not just going to write scathing judgments about one another. We're going to deal with each other in compassion, which means we see a problem. And we have to address that problem, but we do it lovingly and with empathy, with, with care, and with a thought for the other, with seeing each other, with meekness, with humility, with a, a, a putting down of our pride of self and that my way needs to be the way, and rather forbearing and forgiving when harm has come to us. This, this, this is how we're going to relate to each other. We're going to have to do that. We're going to have to be able to forgive because we are going to be sinned against. We're going to have to be able to forbear with each other because we are going to have tensions that rub us the wrong way. There's no such thing as community interaction where these things aren't necessary. But the good news is, is that we have them in their completeness for they are given to us in Jesus Christ. We, we, we feast on the riches of this grace, this mercy, that's been shown us in Christ. And so that's why the word of Christ dwells in us richly. And in verse 16, we teach and admonish one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in our hearts to God, doing everything in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We have this new set of tools and we have this new then dynamic mindset. So when Paul then talks about husbands and wives and children and parents, and slaves and rulers, he's saying, you have a whole different way of functioning. You're no longer just looking at where are you on the hierarchy, 
Where are you on the flow chart that says this person's on top and in charge and this person is in charge of these? And let's take that aside. And now the flow chart, the, the, the hierarchy chart, has no hierarchy there. It's just it's all of these relationships that are defined by compassion and meekness and forbearance and forgiveness. It's a whole new dynamic mindset. It's a way of functioning practically. This is, I think, hard for people to believe. We kind of feel like the only way that things will get done our way is if they're done by our control. And we have to have our way, and so we have to have our control. But it's very practical to see things accomplished, not so much our way, but in the way, in the story way, in a good way, and to see the community growing and to see the gospel advancing because we've employed these tools and we have this dynamic relationship where we just live with each other in compassion. We live with each other in humility. We live with each other in thanksgiving. Practice that. Practice not so much, how do I make this work? What's going to be the most effective way? If, for example, we're taught, we teach our children, the more you share with others, the more they'll share with you. That's a cause and effect. It doesn't, but let's, let's get rid of that. Let's get rid of the idea that if you're a forgiving person, people will treat you better. Let's get rid of the idea that if you do this, then they'll do that and it'll be effective that way. Let's just erase that. Let's put away our hierarchy. Let's just say, this is just what there's going to be. I'm going to live with compassion and meekness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and love. And I'm just going to wait and see what God does for it's God's story and what God is about is a new dynamic mindset. With this, we don't need anything else. With this, we don't need any other fascinating tool. We have them all because we have Jesus Christ. We have him. So we conclude each service, or most services, we conclude by saying, love God, love each other, share the story. This is what Colossians says. Colossians says, you have a new relationship with God, love God. You have a new relationship with each other, love each other. Share the story, for this is the new life. This is the new you. This is your life rewritten. This is a new you and a new them and a new us. Share the story. Now, this morning, you can begin to do that even as you take communion. We have communion this morning, and with that, we're sharing a story. We're sharing and we're saying, Jesus Christ died for us. He gave his body and his blood. The elements of communion, we have the bread and the juice symbolizing the body and blood of Jesus Christ, and we take of it, and we share it. We wait on each other, and then we participate in sharing this together because we say, this is our story. This is, a, this is the new dynamic that we live in. Our life is the life of living on and living in Jesus Christ who died for us. And we eat and drink and proclaim the Lord's death, Paul tells the Corinthians, until he comes. So we're sharing the story. And 
Communion is you sharing the story. Don't take communion if it's not your story. If it's not your story, just think about it and pray for it and, and, and go, God, I, I need Jesus. I need to know Jesus. I need this to be my story. If you have it, you take it, not because it's, it's about your perfection. It's about him. Love God and love each other as we together, as we as a community, as we as a people celebrate this story together. So I'm going to ask Noah to, I'm going to turn the service over to Noah at this point and just let him lead you into this celebration of communion and then sing some songs and celebrate again the story that we have because of Jesus Christ. Noah.